do you think your background as an artist has made you a better businessman or has the fact that you're a businessman made you a better artist? Um, I'll tell you how it, it influenced in, in both ways. I, I really pride myself on acknowledging, accepting, and using both of these at all times because they're my superpower. An artist has made me a better businessman because I approach creativity and new things with reckless abandon the way I do a canvas. Like, I don't have to see the painting to know I can create it. I can have a concept in my head, vision, and then make it happen. Entrepreneurs go, hey, you know, if I take my food and package it rather than selling it in a restaurant, I can make more money. Like, that is a vision. It's the exact same skill set. So being an artist has absolutely helped me uh, be an entrepreneur because every single piece of entrepreneurship is about seeing things before they actually exist and then responding to that in order to be successful. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is dedicated to celebrating undertold stories out of Africa. Whether we're talking to people on the continent or those who are part of the sprawling diaspora, our mission is to highlight and celebrate people of African descent. My name is Kondwani Mwase. And the next episode is Playbook Live. In today's talk, I'll be sitting down with Ricardo McRae, who's an entrepreneur that's committed his life to risk. Now, I say that in full appreciation that this characterization may seem like he's cavalier about his choices. That couldn't be farther from the truth. The fact is, Ricardo isn't cavalier about it. He's the opposite. Calculated. He's calculated that life is full of challenges, fears, and uncertainty. And rather than run from it, he runs toward it. He's resolute in the philosophy that you don't overcome fear, but that you engage and work with it in an eternal dance that continues every day. He's spearheaded several companies and initiatives, BlackInCanada.com and Wedge15 among them. He's leaned into the world of finance with the goal of helping those in his community understand and manage their money. He's launched a podcast called Framing, where he unpacks the importance of understanding context in every situation. And finally, he's understood the delicate balance one needs to manage and thrive as a business person that's got creative talents.
I caught up with Ricardo a few weeks ago to get his views on the community, on mentorship, and his overall world outlook. Here, in part, is our conversation. Ricardo James McRae is my full name. I was born in Guyana, South America. Lived there until I was nine. Uh, then moved to Trinidad and Tobago and stayed there until I was 18. And then moved to Canada. And I have been here for the most part ever since. Lived a little bit in the U.S. in Detroit, which is so close to my heart. I lived there for one year and then came back over to Canada and currently live in Toronto. Family background is my mama was from Barbados, born in Barbados because her, her parents were vacationing, but Trinidadian. And my dad is Guyanese. And while we lived in Guyana, he was the, I can't remember the title, but he was like director of something in the bauxite company, which is the main export. We lived a, a pretty charmed life while growing up, you know, gated compounds and drivers and maids and this type of stuff and um my mom is the first female architect uh in the caribbean she graduated wow. in architecture and a teacher and she designed and built our home in guyana and you know we left that and came to trinidad and uh, because of a divorce and all that kind of of madness um but yeah we grew when we grew up in trinidad it was really really tight and really, really tough. So moving from having a driver, having multiple maids and people, chefs and whatever, as part of how you live to, you know, we need to make our own bread in Trinidad to live and finish school and get through that type of stuff. So that's sort of like where my early 18 years, that's the first sort of like the two extremes of how I have lived two different countries into Canada. And then leaving home when I was in grade 11 and yeah, it was grade 11. Yeah. I think I moved out in grade 11 and I have never been back since so I've been fully independent. Are you Trini? Are you Canadian? Are you Guyanese? Are you like, I, I consider myself Trinidadian. I consider myself Canadian when I'm in Trinidad, they consider me Canadian because it, like, but I'm up here and I'm Trini I never consider myself Guyanese, really. You know, I still have the green passport in the box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody will ever know. You heard that till you get to Georgetown. Random question on your name. So, Ricardo, where does Ricardo come from? And yeah, and then I'll, I got another one on your name. The I've asked my mother this um, because so many people comment on my name. They hear Ricardo McRae and then they don't expect my phenotype or dashing good looks to show up. And you, I've had it multiple times. So like, no, I said, Ricardo McRae. And yes. You went, oh, oh, should be yeah. happy with that. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Job interviews at hospitals, you know, waiting rooms, looking for Ricardo. And, and I, you know, pop up. Pop yeah. up. Uh, my mom, my dad's name is Rick. And he wanted to name all of his kids after him. So, my eldest sister was born before me and he wanted to call her some name. And so they picked Tony, which is a boy's name. And then 
T-O-N-I, and then I was born, and he wanted to call me Ulrich. And my mom was like, hell to the no. Are you ever calling anything that came out of me Ulrich? <laughs> so they decided on, they, it came down to Leonardo or Ricardo. Leonardo after the artist, which is interesting because I ended up going into art. And then Ricardo, I don't know, I think she just liked the way it sounded or something. Yeah, it's, 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 I forgot specifically why, but she just liked the name. And then they settled on Ricardo, and that's how I got Ricardo. <laughs> The uh, the Leonardo, I'm going to come back to that in a, in a few minutes. But, um, you know, I did a little bit of research on you before this this discussion, and I found out there that, you know, the, the word entrepreneur kind of came to mind um, when I looked you up. Self-starter, just very much of a, a, a like an artist, a businessman and an artist at the same time. Um, but these are all labels that I think I'm projecting upon you. So if I were to ask you, Ricardo... What would you categorize yourself as from a professional uh, perspective? I don't like labels, but your, your interpretation is very, very accurate. And I've worked. I intentionally craft both of those things simultaneously in you know public image and social and these types of things. Uh, professionally, if you speak to me today, I'm in financial services and you know I'm the advisor and all of this good stuff. And, and I say from fine arts to finance. Um, because I love entrepreneurship and money and self-determination and making it happen. And I also love to paint and I cry and I'm sensitive. And most people don't think uh, as somebody who is creative um, as being somebody who can also talk to them about their financial goals and life and how do you project profit and dance between those two worlds i have this strange ability to do both so i do them yeah that's um that's that's a really interesting um answer and it speaks to the complexity that i think every every human is not you know single uh you know we're, we're not we, we shouldn't be put in a box because we are multifaceted but you have a really interesting or from what i've gathered you have a really interesting twist in so far as you are like you said, fine arts to finance, you've got this, this design background, and yet you have this really strong business background. So when, when did those two minds marry? Because I don't think it's scholastic. I, I've, I've been maybe overly critical that the scholastic system doesn't support artists to learn about finance, but they don't. It's yeah, this, this was really deep personal introspection and and finding things that I love. Everyone will tell you, do what you love and you'll get paid. And I'm like, okay. So I, I took that to heart. I, so I went out there to prove that you can make six figures as an artist. In my early days, I'll tell you the year, it was 2002. I was working in corporate, doing project management and sales. Um, my best friend had passed um, of cancer at the time. And in talking to him and, you know, at the hospital and he's getting pumped full of chemo and we're doing projects to raise money for him. And it was, I said, what's your biggest regret knowing that you're going to die? Cause he wasn't doing well. And we had like, I still call him my best friend. Like it's been over 25 years. And I'm like, it's my best friend. He said, I, I, I wouldn't finish a jazz album and my son will never hear me play music. He said, that's my biggest regret in life. Mm. Once I heard that it was like, okay, you've got to, pursue this artistic creative side 
resigned from a six-figure job in 2000. This is dot-com days and stuff like that. Was it's good money now? You know. Yeah, I was like, gonna say. Forget about that. years ago, that was really good money. <laughs> so after that to go pursue art and creativity, and you know, started doing branding and design and one brick at a time and built this business and agency and went on, you know, obviously win awards and recorded films and all types of stuff that, you know, sometimes I feel I had no business doing, but I just did it anyway. Right. Like I wasn't looking for permission. So really to answer that question, I just decided I wanted to do it. So I went and did it. I just found a way to do it. I Googled it, put it up on YouTube. I taught myself. I, just went and asked questions until I got the answer that I wanted, and then I executed. It's it's a mentorship from one day from Jeffrey Holder, who who really had me crystallize this into a beautiful sort of like story. He said, if you dance on the side of the street, you'll get pennies. Picture someone in front of a mall doing dancing or whatever they're doing. People would throw pennies, maybe a few bucks. If you take that same dance and you put it in Carnegie Hall, you'll make millions. The only difference between those two actions is the frame that you put it on. It's the only difference between those two actions. So you frame whatever it is that you do in such a way that people will give you millions for it. So whether it is a podcast, make the most beautiful, appealing, you know, SEO-friendly Podcast where people can insert ads. Uh, if you're doing a painting, put it in a proper frame. Don't just put it up on the floor or lean it in a corner and say, can't you see that it's beautiful? No, they cannot see that it's beautiful. Right. You have to tell them the value that's, that's there. So mm-hmm. you put it in a proper frame and you hang it in a room and you get velvet gloves and you say, well, let's sit down and have some wine and talk. Let's sit on this leather couch. And all of yeah. a sudden it's a million dollar painting. The context with which you create anything or put anything in tells the world the value for it. And everything will live within that frame long after you finish creating it, whether it's a business or whether it's a painting. So hence the name of my deal, the framing podcast was about what frame do we put on your life? What lens do we put on your business? What lens do we put on your dancing uh, to tell the world of its value? Well said. I can I can see why you're there. Um, I'll I'll come back to the framing podcast in a minute, but you touched on something with Jeffrey Holder um, that I thought was really interesting, and then you actually harkens back to the conversation we had before, and that is the the word or the term mentorship. Um, you have some interesting, I think, insights on mentorship. Um, can you maybe tell me about your relationship with that? Um, with mentorship and being a mentor um, and maybe being a mentee? My views today have changed from where they've begun. People want or desire mentorship, and sometimes it can be a crutch against taking action. Uh, let me get mentorship. Let me find out. Let me research. Let me go digging. Let me find out. Let me talk to someone. No, 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 no. What you need to do is do something. And then ask somebody with more experience what you could do better. And that is where mentorship is on steroids. Because now you have some actions that can be mentored. Unless you've physically done it in the world, there's nothing to mentor. 
It's just a concept. You could you could just go to Google for free. You don't need to talk to me. In in what you're doing now, um, where do you think your greatest value is? Do you think it is in providing mentorship and guidance? Do you think it is in breaking new ground in in continuing to uh, accelerate and to innovate, or um, or as I mentioned before, is it is it in in the mentorship lane? Having all my years of experience and the number today is fifty and a half, um, and the financial experience I've had both as an entrepreneur, as an artist, and now a financial advisor. Uh, bringing all of that and who I am to my business and life and everything that I'm doing uh, is a tremendous value. Like I'm sitting with clients and I go have a side hustle and doing this. I'm like, well, how much have you made in the last 12 months on it? They go, nothing. I said, then it's a hobby. And they're like, no, it's not. I said, well, how much money have business is about money. If you haven't made money, you have a it's not a business. Not, it's not a business. It's not you a business. Have, yeah. Like, are you, how much are you charging? I don't know. I said, you got a really nice hobby. You feel good. I get it. And it's hard for most creatives to hear someone say that. But I'm like, listen, if you really want to be a creative, you've got to see yourself as a business first rather than, you know, I'm an artist and I'm going to purely create just because I can. I'm like, you're creative, but you're not like an artist to me makes money. And when I, I draw this line and everybody's, oh, I'm an entrepreneur with this. I'm like, listen, I draw some very clear lines in the sand. 51% of your net income needs to come from entrepreneurship for you to call yourself an entrepreneur. 51. Because making an extra thousand or five thousand or ten grand yeah. a year, yeah. that's that's a hobby that has a little that's not at zero. <laughs> entrepreneurship is when you got when this is fifty-one percent of your life. It's not fifty. Then it's now you have some choices to make, but you've got to sit on one side or the other and Everybody who does anything thinks of a creative idea. And I have, I'm, you're not an entrepreneur. You, yeah. Until you have to live and feed yourself from having another human being that you talk to or create something for, pull out their credit card or sign that invoice or buy that painting or subscribe or buy the download or get the services. I said, you, you don't know what, 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 what intensity is. Until, you know, your next month's rent is riding on that person signing that check. That is a different world to live in than it'll be nice if I got a few extra grand. So what is the most exciting project you're working on now? The most exciting thing I'm working on today is transforming the financial well-being of uh, my community. The thinking around money. Um, yeah, it's I, I have come to understand after, uh, you know, getting licensed and certified and trained and blah, 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 and all that. Good. Yeah, 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 I'll go do it. I'll take the courses, right? I went and did it, got the stuff. I understand the whole system and seeing how the system of economics plays out in North America and currently during, you know, this crisis and around the world. We, anybody who's not playing this game, is it, it's it's going to sound crude, and please don't take this the wrong way. Um, but you're a soccer ball on a field, and other people are going to kick you around for the rest of your life if you don't understand how money works. Because 
the same reason you can't describe water to a fish. They don't understand what water is. It just is. It just is. They, they, they have no concept that there's something called water until you're removed from it. And then they're like, oh, I need that to breathe and live. And everything I do is, is predicated on this thing that is omnipresent to the point where you don't see it. Money is the universal currency that everybody has decided is the universal yardstick for measurement of success, abundance, and respect. And if you are not playing that game on some level or have an understanding of how it works, you will 100% lose. The concept of fiscal management is increasingly important for traditionally underprivileged communities. And with the global recession seemingly on the horizon, that cohort may drastically be expanding. With that in mind, I sat down with Gabrielle Flores to talk about the burning issue of Money Matters. Gabrielle works at RBC as a financial advisor and has been helping clients in Montreal better manage their money. He brings us some sage advice on fiscal discipline and will feature in an upcoming episode of 54 Lights. My name is Gabriel Flores, and to answer your question, the origin of my name is um, actually from El Salvador. So my parents uh, came to Canada in 1973 and 1975. Uh, my father first, then followed by my mother. And uh, I'm first generation Canadian, uh, born in 78 here in Montreal, and uh, consider myself very fortunate uh, in that regard, uh, especially against uh, the current backdrop. And, um, and I am an investment advisor at RBC Demand Securities. What impact has the current crisis had on people who are previously your, your um, key constituents, like your key clients? How has that changed their lives? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think the best way to answer that question is in uh, highlighting the fact that my approach is highly geared towards education and information. And I think that if I am able to convey uh, information about what's happening in the markets, uh, what's happening in, in, in macroeconomics, uh, how different industries are being affected uh, and bring that back to, um, you know, the, the circumstances of, of whoever I'm speaking to at the time, I think that adds a certain level of, um, uh, of, um, of empowerment. Um, you know, I think information is power and I think that education and being able to walk my clients and, and other individuals through uh, uncertain times is extremely important. And that gives them uh, that peace of mind that they need to focus on what's important to them. And whether that is in you know, the, addressing the basic needs of their family, whether it, that is in um, getting the reassurance that they need in terms of 
um, the fact that their cash flow is going to be adequate over this uncertain period of time, mm -hmm. or whether it's in bringing in um, any number of partners that I work with to be able to better their uh, personal situation, I can do that. And, and I want to do that. And uh, the end result uh, is rewarding to me because, um, you know, if I can shepherd my clients through, um, you know, the uncertainty that we witnessed in February and in March and, and, and throughout the course of, of early April, you know, then I'm doing my job and I'm able to add value. People who maybe don't leverage resources such as yourself, are they missing out? Um, I'm assuming you would say yes, but, but maybe in a short way, in the shortest answer as possible, why are they missing out if they're not using a council such as yours? Well, look, I mean, every, every, uh, every advisor uh, runs their business differently. Um, in, in, in my regard, uh, you know, when I, when I meet someone, um, I really take the time to listen to them. And I take the time to better understand their previous experience, if any, with a financial professional. Um, you know, sometimes it's been traumatic uh, and sometimes it's been, you know, suboptimal. Um, so that's important for me to know. It's important for me to know some of the background and where they're coming from. And it's also important for me to better understand sort of where the pieces fit at the moment. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we spend the discovery meeting, uh, you know, talking about what their, what their pie in the sky type idea is and, and what their ideal situation would be. And then we go back and try to reverse engineer how we can get there. And, um, you know, that sometimes that means having a difficult conversation about, you know, uh, credit repair. Um, that might ha that might be a difficult conversation about, you know, making sure that they've also, um, taking the adequate steps in, in protecting their estate. So part of the conversation really is, you know, when was the last time that you updated your will? And I would say nine out of 10 times, the reply is, I don't have a will. Mm. And when that happens, I think we have to pivot to a conversation of, okay, well, what's, what's important to you? Um, you know, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Because you know, as we found out with uh, the tragic events of Kobe Bryant earlier this year, you never quite know when your legacy is going to begin. And when you look at things from that perspective and how fleeting life can be, especially in light of the recent events of COVID-19, um, to be able to uh, have that peace of mind that that type of planning can give you can't be measured in dollars and cents. And now, back to my conversation with Ricardo. All of the things that you're talking about have a, a bit of a, you have to have this relationship with risk. And I'm going to use one of your words, by the way, from um, a really, really profound TED Talk that you gave uh, some years ago, but um, I think it was about fear and collaboration with fear rather than running from it. Look it up, people, if you haven't had a chance. But so I wanted to ask you about what is your relationship with risk? And maybe more importantly than that, what will you tell your son about how he should relate to risk? Unbelievable questions. Uh, these cut at the heart of 
why I exist, like this, this level of deep introspection. So to answer your question, I'll try to be quick. These are deep questions. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, oh, they took so me, you know, 40 years to come up with an answer. I've been thinking about them for so long. Here are the two things that I teach that I want my son to have given my thoughts of where the world is going. I want him to be resilient and I want him to have self-confidence. I think those two skills will carry you anywhere on the planet in any circumstance and you'll be a winner. If you can get punched in the mouth after you have a plan and you can pick yourself up and go, well, at least I'm standing up. No one can beat you. Because every, you know, I'll quote Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> All right. That's going to happen. So if that's 100% guaranteed, regardless of where the world goes, uh, you need resilience. You need to know that you could, you could pick yourself up. Daddy's not going to pick you up every time you fall. Please don't jump off the counter. Like, I'm going to do my best to protect you. But if you do jump and you hurt yourself, you know, do whatever is appropriate. Take care of him. Yeah. I'm not going to let him sit there. The yeah, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> you'll you'll help a him. a monster. Yeah. But I'm also not going to be upset that he jumped. I'm going to be like, listen, dude, I, I'm glad you jumped. But you got to jump. You can't jump like that. Like If I tell you not to jump, I said, not yet. That's too, you've gone too far. You need to dial it back a little bit. Right? I don't want to never jump again. No, no, no. You yeah. should jump. Just not, you have, to, you have to ask a couple more questions before you jump. Have yeah. you jumped before? Have you seen somebody else jump? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's, I'll give you some context for the jump, but I'm not going to stop it and try and have you live in a, in a box of safety because safety doesn't yeah. exist. And to your first point of this, of like fear, how do we live and dance with fear? Fear is omnipresent. And fear can either, how you dance with this or relate to fear will determine the size of the box that you limit yourself to in life. So you have what you have and you do what you do based on what you believe you should have and what you think you should do. So if fear is your yardstick for determining what you do and what you don't do, you'll end up hopping in a one-foot square. guarantee that it's going to hurt so you might as well go for it you could still lose when you do things right so you have to understand what it is that you want out of life and then start taking calculated risks to get that early early age i don't know if it's because i left home or because of my life circumstances and travel and you know really seeing living a wealthy lifestyle and really living poverty not kind of like i don't want to come home i'm like no that's hungry i have to share a sandwich with my best friend at school like that's how i ate lunch like i'm here because he split his peanut butter sandwich with me every day when I went to high school for five years. That broke, right? To really live that, you kind of got to go, you have to go inside. You have to determine who are you? What matters to you? What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? What are your ethics? And, um, and once you understand that, you got to follow your gut. And this is the fear thing, right? It's all, you're always going to be afraid. 
I didn't know what it was like to be a daddy. I had a son. I didn't know what it was like to be married. Like, my goal is to be married for the rest of my life. I don't have a model for that. There is no model. There's no, there's no, there's nobody I'm tracing on this thing. I'm figuring this thing out. I'm dealing with whatever shows up. I am in real time committed to an outcome that I don't know how to produce. You want to yeah. talk about fear? Like this is called living in our tech talk. My wife, Gloria, was about dancing with fear. When fear's gone, then I'll come out to play. No, that's the trap. You think it's going to go away. You think it's going to feel good. It's never going to feel good. It's going to feel horrible the whole time. Like, you just have to accept that, that it's going to be a punch to the face. But once you get that, I will be punched in the face, it doesn't hurt as much. Then you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, here's the punch. You know, roll with it. And you dance with this fear. And you start to say, okay, okay. And you start to figure things out. You learn some dot. You bob and weave. And it's just like a boxing match. And if you can't manage and dance with fear, I, I don't think you've really lived. If things are bad, whatever the thing is, the fear, the situation, no rent for three months, they evicted you and you have an onion. Like, it's bad, right? Like, that's bad. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's coming to help you. <laughs> if you're still alive, you have a shot at fixing this thing. And if you're dead, all your problems just got solved. So it's never bad. What's bad? That's, that's a great. That's a great outlook, Ricardo. That's a great outlook. That's I funny. got past the onion. I'm talking to you today. <laughs> so there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank everyone who's participated in today's show, be they behind the scenes or on the mic. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Corner Studios with the assistance of our producer, John Kitt. Music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed with permission by Joachim Nortebert and Andy Ninval. If you like what you've heard, there's more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter under our handle, Crowd54. Remember, you can find us wherever you do your listening. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and that's just a few of them. Listen, like, share. Until we meet again, thanks for listening.